Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the Pulpnet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines, since 1996, online at the This Pulp Event Podcast features a panel discussion titled, The Weird Tales of Philip Jose Farmer, which was part of the FarmerCon, running concurrently with Pulp Fest, the panel consisting of Jason Scott Aiken, a fantasy and horror writer, and host of Pulp Crazy, a blog and podcast, author and essayist Frank Schildiner, and illustrator and researcher Chuck Lordens. Farmer Cons, when Scott Eckert begins with a few words. Uh, so I'm Wynn Eckert. Uh, I'm one of the uh, guys who helps put on the FarmerCon here year after year. Also work with Meteor House Publications. And I just want to say, you know, very pleased to be here for our fifth year running for FarmerCon 10. And thank you very much uh, to all the folks at Polfest for continuing to host us. And that's, uh, this, this has been a really great partnership for us. So thank you for having us. Um, very quickly, Meteor House is launching uh, four new books. Please drop by our table. We've got three new OPAR books. Uh, uh, we've got Exiles of Co, which is a prelude in the OPAR series. We've got Had on King of Opar, which is the fourth book of the series. Uh, both of those are by Christopher Paul Ferry. And then we actually have Philip Jose Farmer's Flight to Opar, which is the second book in the series, but it's got 4,000 additional words that were cut out. Uh, and so this is actually you know, an enhanced or restored edition. Uh, we've been able to locate uh, his manuscript and copy edit back in uh, many of his works. And then uh, we're also launching a new book by uh, Jim Beard and Dwayne Spurlock uh, called Airship Hunters, which is kind of X-Files meets Wild Wild West, sort of. Uh, it's a fun little book. So um, I'm going to please hand it off now to uh, Chuck Lordens, Frank Schildener, and Jason Aiken. Uh, and they are going to talk about the weird tales of Philip Jose Farmer. Thanks very much. Thanks, Wynn, and thanks everyone for coming. Um, today, as Wynn said, we're going to be talking about the weird tales of Philip Jose Farmer. Um, Philip Jose Farmer is mostly known as a science fiction writer, um, and he also did some extensive work with some pulp characters. But in addition to these, he also wrote a good bit of horror fiction. and so much that a comprehensive panel would probably take too long. So we decided to focus on monsters and mythos. Monologue. Yes, this first story we'll be discussing is Monologue. It was published in a demon child anthology called Demonkind. And Chunk, you have some... This story just creep the hell out of me. This is, this is one of those stories where it's, it's so vague, you're not sure what's going on in it. You don't, you're, that's what makes it scarier. It's, uh, it's, it's told in a first person, and it, this is the creature talking. It, it reminds me of the uh, Lovecraft story, The Other, where uh, a guy's basically describing, you find there's a twist at the end, um, it's very much like that, but it's, I think he outdoes Lovecraft in that creepiness because the whole time you're not sure what's going on. Is he a Is this character a misshapen baby? Is he? Uh, is it a grown creature? Is it 
is it actually the, it, there's a hint that it might actually be a woman's cancer with, with an id, with a, with a personality, and you're never sure. It's very, um, for a modern reference, very Clive Barker, though I think that's an insult to Phil after if you, if you read the latest Clive Barker. Um, yeah, please. It's supposed to be the sequel to The Hellraiser. Don't read it. Anyway, it's, a, it's very internal and it's very, very creepy when you read it. It's something not to read at night. Don't read it at night and, or else you're going to really regret it. Definitely. And it's also a uh, play on words monologue because um, it's basically the creature's monologue. And what's really creative is um, all of the line, all of the text in the story is in quotes. So it is actually like the a full monologue. Talking. Yeah, yeah. Full right, monologue. right out of the creature's mouth, basically. Very scary. Yeah. This next one is It's the Queen of Darkness Pal, also known as the Phantom of the Sewers. This one, it's kind of like his version of, it's not really his version of the Phantom of the Opera, but it kind of makes allusion, it kind of makes allusions to it. It's about a sewer worker um, who has to go down into the sewers all this time while there's basically a sexual predator on the loose down there. Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a play on Phantom of the Opera, but Phil takes it in a very unique direction. It's uh, got a lot of twists and turns in it. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, it's a pretty fast, easy read. It's a good, good story. He did a good job with that one. Makes a lot of social commentary, too, about uh, the, like a caste system, like who's accepted in society, who's not accepted in society, uh, and even in, in the untouchable layer of society, there's even more layers of who accepts who, and and you know Phil's Phil's not going to write anything just for shock value. It's also talking about uh, humanity, and you know just the human condition. And th this is a very intense story, and you're not expecting the end. No, no, no not at all. Definitely not. Now here is uh, the leaser of two evils. This first appeared in Playboy in July 1979. And it was later published in Riverworld and other stories in November 1979. And this is Farmer's take on a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Very much so. And it's, but it has, Phil, you got to understand, Phil was the trickster. He didn't do anything the easy route. He, you know, if he can find a route that will really make you say, wow, he did it. And in this case, when you get to the twist, it's almost like, what did I just read? <laughs> I ended up going back like, I, I, yeah, I did read that. And it really plays on uh, a lot of his themes, sexuality, as well as uh, the system of class and people and how they treat each other. And it's also funny. It is. It, 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 <laughs> it is. And it's about writers. Yes. And, and um, you know, and, it, and it's basically, it's kind of like a jab at the, the moral majority. And, you know, the, the, whole, the whole thing, uh, it, it's basically two sides of one person. Um, but it, it's, like, it's like the thing you see in the news when, uh, when the anti-gay politician gets busted with the pool boy. 
you know, it, it, but this kind of like, it kind of, this is, you know, before that stuff started getting heard about, and it, and it kind of deals with that thing. The, 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 the me thinks she, she doth protest too much scenario. Yeah, and uh, it has a lot of um, also play on the way psychologists and psychiatrists deal with human beings. It's, uh, it was interesting, my mom is a therapist, so when I'm reading this, I can actually hear her saying, you know, I don't know how to deal with this one. Well, you know, just essentially, <laughs> to, give, to give you a little bit of a, an idea, this is a very moral, upstanding person who's a writer, and he's getting letters to himself. He, somebody's writing him letters and... Oh, he's, he's a police officer. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's yeah. a police officer. Yeah, and, and it's from his sister. He's getting letters from his sister. Um, but he's his sister. Well, yeah, that's the twist. He's, yeah, well, but that's really not the spoiler. twist. Spoiler. No. He's not. We said Jekyll and Hyde, man. Yeah, that's but, true. I did a lead with Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, I mean, he said Jekyll and Hyde, but he's the sister. But I, you, you got to read to see where this goes. And I yeah, think there's, you more, do there's more to it than that. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think you do kind of figure. It, it's, it's, that's not the big shock. You, no. know? It, it, you do kind of figure that out early in the story. But it's basically, it's his, it's his other side who's mocking him. And say, oh, wait till you see what I do. Wait till you, wait till you see what I'm going to do to you next. You know. Yeah, it's, it's if got you think, moments. If you think you had a hangover from last night, wait, wait till you see how you feel tomorrow morning. That kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's really. Phil had an amazing sense of humor, and it really plays through there, but in a bent way. I love it, though. I love that story. Uh, yeah. Evil Be My Good. This uh, first appeared in the World Fantasy Convention 1990 program book. Uh, it looks like that year it was a H.P. Lovecraft centenary celebration. It later appeared in The Ultimate Frankenstein in November 1991. And this is actually a Frankenstein story that really has ties to that original Mary Shelley story, doesn't it? it? It even has ties to the historical base of Mary Shelley's story in some ways. I don't want to spoil it, really. You really want to read this. I just wrote a Frankenstein book, so to me, this was just like getting a chance to read this again. It's like, wow. And, and it even adds time. more heartbreaking pathos. It does. To the, to the, to the creature. Yeah, really good stuff. Definitely. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Uh, this first appeared in The Ultimate Dracula, November 1991. This deals with a female agent of Jehovah that infiltrates a cult that worships a vampire. Sort of rock star vampire. It, I really enjoyed this for the concept that I'm really getting tired of these concept of nice vampires. And right. the, Phil obviously didn't have any play with that because he wasn't, the character was definitely not so nice, but it also played on the other side of how not so nice the hunters can be too. Well, it's also, it's also like, um, it's like all that really needed to be said in the Anne Rice books. You know, it it, have been it, if you took out all the glamour and the apology and the, the apologetics to vampires, this is what it should have been whittled down to. This just this one story, and you didn't need all the rest of this stuff, in my opinion. I agree with that. And to round out the big uh, the big monster trio is this werewolf tale, wolf, iron, and moth. 
this is a werewolf story. It takes place in Arkansas with a sheriff whose name is Jaeger um, trying to hunt a gigantic wolf that's been ravaging the countryside. And the primary character's name is Dr. Varglick. And it's kind of a back and forth cat and mouse game between the two of them. And he just mentioned two names. And if you know anything about Philip Jose Farmer, characters are never just randomly named things. It, there's, there's always a reason for them. It, 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 it takes a, it, you might have to do a little research, but na they name Jaeger and yeah, it, it's all, uh, it all means something and could even give you a clue as to what's really going on. It's interesting also because in some ways this story um, plays against the modern conventions of the, the werewolf, excuse me, but it plays closer to more of the older legends of the vampire, uh, I keep saying vampire for some reason, werewolf. Uh, it plays closer Bear to wolf. the, yeah, yeah, I can get it there. <laughs> it's a running game, believe yeah. me. Uh, uh, the werewolf uh, in the original tales uh, were very different than the ones we see today. The majority of werewolf mythology was written by Kurt Siadamak in The Wolfman. And it, you know, the, uh, the silver, all that stuff, that's, that's very new inventions. And this plays closer to the curse of the werewolf from the Middle Ages. Um, I'd be interested if Phil had some of the etchings that they did of werewolves of that period. It's very interesting. There's also a really um, cool portion in regards to the transformation sequence. Um, I've never read a werewolf transformation sequence described as um, Farmer does in this one. It kind of takes it into like a biological territory. And another thing I really liked about this story was um, there's a magazine that only werewolves get. It's called uh, Werewolves of the World. Yeah. And there's some great uh, Farmerian humor in there. Um, a classified ad section where one spouse is telling uh, their other spouse, come home, you can use the cat's litter box. And there's four really funny moments really, like that in there. It, right there with this very strong tale of way, the way a werewolf, I got it out, uh, is they have this edge of humor which really does play into Phil. He was really, he, he could play on so many different levels as a writer. It's very impressive to read his work. Here's um, Image of the Beast. This is actually the omnibus collection of The Image of the Beast and Blown. Um, it was collected by Playboy Press. Uh, the Image of the Beast and Blown are kind of tough to find, but this omnibus uh, edition's out there. Um, basically, this is another tale of shapeshifters, uh, vampires and werewolves, but Farmer puts a little bit of a different spin on it. And it basically takes place in Los Angeles. It opens up with a private detective at police headquarters. And he, the police are showing him this snuff film of his partner being murdered in this bizarre sexual ritual. And kind of goes on, kind of picks up from there on the mystery of his partner trying to solve what, what happened to him. Yeah, it, one of the things that's interesting is Phil actually used a science fiction explanation as to werewolves, vampires, and other monsters. I really like that. 
Uh, it had a lot of unusual edges to it. Yeah. Now we're on the uh, farmer's contribution to the mythos. Doc Savage, his apocalyptic life, uh, first published in May 1973. He uh, included a reference to Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, and he postulated that William Harper Little John, or Johnny Little John, was also William Dyer from Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. The man who led, who led the expedition, and also was a, a, a professor at the Miskatonic University. His next uh, contribution is The Monster on Hold. Um, it first appeared in the World Fantasy 1983 program book, uh, 60 Years of Weird Tales. It's been reprinted in other places since then, um, but it's Farmer's Doc Caliban character, and he kind of encounters some mythos-like creatures on an adventure. Uh, yeah, uh, Doc Caliban, for those of you who don't know, was a uh, a character in a separate world that is being ruled by a group of immortal, very evil characters called the Nine. And Doc Caliban is one of the most dangerous, strongest people on Earth that is a candidate of the Nine, the, one of their followers, really. And his half-brother, Lord Gruneth, is also a candidate, and they were pitted against each other because one of the nine died. This is a rare occurrence, and they were gonna take whoever won was going to be the next immortal. And there's a lot of human horror in that story. Uh, and then he followed it with two pulp stories kind of in the style of Doc Caliban and Lord Gruneth that are very interesting. And this was gonna be the fourth story, but the fourth story actually was done by our own Wynne Scott Eckert in a short story called The Wild Huntsman. And this is the fifth, really, oh, as you could say. And the creature described in this, um, well, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's truly, take t I mean, it takes your imagination places you might not want to go. It, it's just that, I mean, it's that, ah, you've heard the term tentacle porn. I mean, it, it, it's like, it's, it's mind-blowing, this creature in here. It's kind of, it'll make you shudder. It's like, not, it, it, if, you, if you've, you know, seen a hundred million horror movies or read every Stephen King book, this can still take you to that. <sighs> and, oh, it's, he, he, man, the man with the genius. Yeah, it was a, it's an amazing concept of this neo-pulp kind of world with a Lovecraftian backdrop uh, as possible. It's a very interesting concept that he wrote there. It really, the, the series of the nine is very interesting, groundbreaking work. There's also a very interesting, um, well, I'll be vague about it, a tug of war scene. Yeah, that's, be vague, please. That's definitely, <laughs> I'll be vague about that, but it's a very interesting scene in there as well. And here's probably um, Farmer's best known contribution to the mythos. Uh, the Freshman, um, it deals with a 60-year-old man named Roderick Desmond. Uh, he's a f he, his first day as a freshman at Miskatonic University. And it's, this was actually inspired by 
a dream Philip Jose Farmer had of himself pledging to a fraternity at 60 years old. Right, and, and anybody who's you know familiar with uh, Lovecraft and Arkham and uh, the Miskatonic, you know, there's all this shadowy you know stuff going on, but he takes you into the ordinary stuff, signing up for classes, you know, who's your who's your roommate in college, um, you know, what are tuitions like, what describing your teachers, and and as with all of this stuff, there's nice little Easter eggs in there of uh, of interesting characters, but it's also very funny. It's it's hilarious in some ways because it. Like I said, uh, Miskatonic is famous, the Miskatonic University is famous in the Lovecraft books, but he, he kind of like fleshes it out for you by just taking you through some ordinary things about it. It's like a real college. Yeah, it's very um, Harry Potter meets H.P. Lovecraft. It's got this right. really demented edge to it. And when you're reading it, you, anybody who has even a small familiarity with the mythos will get some really serious laughs out of you know, fraternities named after Haster and things like that. You know, really amazingly well-written story with, a, with great mythos intent, but also his signature humor was really present there. I, I love that story. It's one of my favorites of his work. Just describing waiting in a line to sign up for classes and describing, you know, other people he sees in there. That's the thing that made it all real to me that nobody else had ever done with the concept of the Miskatonic yeah, he, he took Lovecraft's concept, the mythos, and actually put it in a very real world sense that I haven't seen uh, until recently. Charles Strauss writes some mythos things, and in his first book, he had this spy character uh, dealing with uh, bureaucrats and office supply uh, forms. And even though they're there to fight the evil monsters from beyond, he still has to fill out these forms to be able to go to the lunch li line, you know, things like that. Phil did it first, though, with this by making this college that is so mythological, almost ordinary, but still demented. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, he definitely walked the line of Harry Potter, you know, decades before. Mm -hmm before that happened. And as you said, there are some uh, cool references. Um, my favorite and the most probably mythos related is when uh, the main character signing up for classes, there's someone in front of them that has a paperback of, uh, it's a Robert Blake anthology in his back pocket. And Robert Blake is um, a tribute to Philip Jose Farmer's friend, Robert Block. So that was, I really enjoyed that. My favorite, my favorite was, I'm a, I'm a huge Tarzan fan, and one of his students is uh, originally from Africa, and he's the descendant of a long line of witch doctors, and his name is Buckawai, like his ancestor. So I thought that was very cool. I actually was getting a good laugh out of seeing regular fraternity names named after the Lovecraftian monsters. It's like, you know, the, uh, the idea that people are signing up to things to, to Cthulhu or to Haster, you know, different, different groups. It's like you, want, you don't want to be part of the Hasters. They're not that, you know, they're really not the cool people in campus. It's like, wow, what am I reading here? This would have been a perfect humorous uh, night gallery episode. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
definitely. Or that show that was briefly on the 80s, The Monsters, they have that, you know, the ordinary, the monstrous in the ordinary, and he really covered it well with this story. And he did, he did plan on writing, you know, going through each year following this guy's career as the sophomore, the junior, the senior, the PhD candidate. Um, he did start writing the sophomore, but he didn't get very far on it, unfortunately. But it's definitely a great concept, and I think he really did a great job ex executing it. Absolutely. Well, what it all boils down to with, with uh, if Phil Farmer wrote a story with, uh, as a, in, in somebody else's uh, milieu, he did it with so much love and so much attention and so much respect uh, because he loved it himself. It all comes from a deep love he has for this. So he was never going to do any of this stuff half-assed. He put everything he had into it and, it, and it was with love. That's why he was one of the grandmasters. Yes, one of, he's really, one of my heroes. Really one of the best writers. He's the reason I'm in Pulp, because back further to Doc Savage as Apocalyptic Life. That got me where I'm sitting right here. So I owe him a lot. Definitely. And just as a um, FYI, a lot of these stories that we talked about tonight, uh, you can read them in just a few anthologies. Um, Here's Pearls from Peoria. You can usually get a copy of this on the secondary market. This is good for um, a lot of those monster stories. Whatever monster stories aren't in there, it's in this, they're in this Riverworld collection. Uh, the monster on hold, the Doc Caliban fragments even in there. And the freshmen, as well as a ton of very good Wool Newton universe literature is in the Tales of the Wool Newton Universe, uh, which came out from Titan Books a few years back. So if you're interested in reading The Freshman, I'd recommend picking this one up. But that's the uh, end of our presentation. Any uh, comments or questions for us? This had a nice reading rainbow type vibe to it. I like this. This is fun. That's one demented reading rainbow. Yeah. Man. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it, you got to be impressed by a man who can write pretty much any style of writing and manage to change the literary world. So, you know, I'm, I, he's definitely one of my writing heroes. Well, I guess no questions. Thank you very much. Oh, question? What? Hold on, hold on. We got a question. Stand up so we can hear you. It's uh, not strictly a monster story, but what are your thoughts on uh, After Kong Fell? Oh, we all love that <laughs> one. <laughs> it's a wonderful story. Filled with Easter eggs and, uh, and, and also just it's Phil, it, Phil mixes in his own life. I mean, you, you kind of get the feeling that Phil was the little boy, Tim Howard. That was, you know, in... It's kind of like taking the real thing of going to see this movie as a child and transposing it, you know, into a world where this actually happened. And it's, uh, you know, it's heartwarming, too. It's something else that would make a great, you know, short film. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, I actually thought it that way as a kid. It took a while for to con my parents to convince me the original King Kong movie wasn't real. It wasn't that bright, but it was, uh, but, uh, you know, my father worked in the Empire State Building. I lived in the New York, New Jersey area. I saw this movie every Thanksgiving it was shown 
in our area. And it took to about age nine before I realized that it was not a, a real story. Wait, so, not? <laughs> so to me, it had like a personal moment to it. I kind of felt like I was back in my childhood reading that. Plus, as a pulp writer and a pulp lover, it had so much in it. It was so many, as he said, Easter eggs. It was just a great story, and it's in a great collection where he also wrote, um, I think that's The Tale of Three Mad Men. The Adventure of the Three, three, three Mad Men. Men with, uh, um, with the character from The Jungle Book. Mowgli. Mowgli meeting up with Sherlock Holmes. So when I first read it, I got a double bonus out of that book. Uh, King, King, the, uh, after King Kong fell, lets you get that lump in your throat all over again for Kong. And after King Kong fells in this book too, Tales of the Wool Newton Universe as well. So You can't go wrong. Anything else? Since uh, Chuck invoked Reed and Rainbow, yeah. thanks for watching and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>